All right, Joshua chapter 2. Joshua, uh, the book of Joshua chapter 2. And we'll read uh, part of what we read um, already this morning. And then we'll get into uh, what we want to deal with tonight. I, I'm going to start another series, um, but wasn't ready to do that yet. And, and then with the message this morning, and then with Rahab fresh on our minds, there's another thought from this chapter that I really wanted to consider while we're still thinking about uh, this incredible woman of faith named Rahab. And you don't have to have a lot said about you to be used of God in a significant way. And literally what scripture has to say about her just takes up a few, a few sentences or a few paragraphs. And yet God used her in a significant way in the life of the nation of Israel here in Joshua. And in the overall redemptive plan, she had a big part in all of that. And so I want to look at something specific uh, that we dealt with this morning and then build off of that. In Hebrews 11.31, you know that it says, By faith Rahab. And it says, She perished not with them that believed not. But then it goes on to say that her faith motivated her to do something. And that doing something was this. She received the spies. She received them with peace. She protected Despise. So now back to Joshua chapter 2, verse 1. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out of Shittim two men to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, even Jericho. And they went and came into an harlot's house named Rahab and lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, there came men in hither to night of the children of Israel to search out the country. And the king of Jericho sent unto Rahab, saying, Bring, excuse me, bring forth the men that are come to thee which are entered into thine house, for they be come to search out all the country. And the women took the two men and hid them and said thus, There came men unto me, but I wist not whence they were. And it came to pass about the time of shutting of the gate, when it was dark that the men went out. Whither the men went, I wot not. Pursue after them quickly, for ye shall overtake them. And as we talked about this morning, they went snipe hunting but she had brought them up to the roof of the house and hid them with the stalks of flax, which she laid in order upon the roof. And the men pursued after them the way to Jordan unto the fords. And as soon as they which pursued after them were gone out, they shut the gate. And before they were laid down, she came up unto them upon the roof. And she said unto the men, I know that the Lord hath given you the land and that your terror is fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when ye came out of Egypt, and what ye did unto the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side of Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom ye utterly destroyed. And as soon as we had heard these things, our hearts did melt, neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in earth beneath now therefore, I pray you swear unto me by the Lord, since I have showed you kindness, that you will also show kindness unto my father's house, and give me a token, and that you will save alive my father, and my mother, and my brethren, and my sisters, and all that they have, and deliver our lives from death. And the men answered her, our life for yours, if ye utter not this our business, and it shall be, 
when the Lord hath given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with thee. Then she let them down by a cord through the window, for her house was upon the town wall, and she dwelt upon the wall. And she said unto them, Get you to the mountain, lest the pursuers meet you, and hide yourselves there three days until the pursuers be returned, and afterward may ye go your way. And the men said unto her, We will be blameless of this thine oath which thou hast made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, thou shalt bind this line of scarlet thread in the window which thou didst let us down by, and thou shalt bring thy father and thy mother and thy brethren and all thy father's house hold home unto thee. And it shall be that whosoever shall go out of the doors of thy house into the street, his blood shall be upon his head, and we will be guiltless. And whosoever shall be with thee in thy house, his blood shall be on our head if any hand be upon him. And if thou utter this our business, then we will be quit of thine oath which thou hast made us to swear. And she said, according unto your words, so be it. And she sent them away and they departed. And she bound the scarlet line in the window. And they went and came unto the mountain and abode there three days until the pursuers were returned. And the pursuers sought them throughout all the way but found them not. And we'll leave off our reading there. From the perspective of Jericho, you go back to the first few verses, the king of Jericho sent messengers to turn these guys in, and she aligned herself with those who were invading her country. She aided and abetted the enemy. I think I'm saying that right. So here's the title. In this battle of faith... There, are, there is no place for Switzerland. <laughs> if you're Swiss, I'm not making fun of you, but I do reserve the right to make fun of governments who have bad policies. <laughs> In this fight of faith, there is no place for Switzerland. Father, I'm glad that we get to be at church tonight and just thankful for your time and your attention to us. And God, I'm thankful for your people, whether they're watching online or they're here in the building. I'm grateful that we get to be a part of your church that is here and get to be a part of your family, which is innumerable and so vast. And God, all over the world throughout this day, some places in secret, some in large sanctuaries, some in very small buildings hidden in the mountains, some hiding. Your people have met, and God, you've met with them. And we, we thank you for meeting with us, and we ask you, Lord, to meet with us one more time tonight, and that we would know that you've spoken to us, that you'd help the truth, and bless your people with it. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. Thanks so much for standing. Many of you have heard of Swiss neutrality. It's one of the main principles of Switzerland's foreign policy, which dictates that Switzerland is not to be involved in armed or political conflicts between other states. The policy is self-imposed, permanent, and armed, and it's designed, and I really want you to get this, this policy of Swiss neutrality that we're not going to take sides in battles, that we're not going to get on either side of an armed conflict, it is designed with this motive to ensure the external security 
and to promote peace. But that misses a very important reality, that there are really bad people who will never settle for peace, and they can only be defeated by conquering them. They can only be stopped by conquering them. I was doing a little reading about this neutrality principle for Switzerland, and and they haven't been involved in a conflict since at least 1815. In fact, during the Second World War, they did not allow Allied forces to fly their bombers over their airspace. I, I don't have all of the details of this, so I can't fill you in on everything. But there was even, even a time where American soldiers were trying to escape through, through Switzerland or area that they controlled, and they were arrested and imprisoned because they maintained this strict Swiss neutrality. What's really, really comical about that is that they were surrounded by people who wanted to wipe them off the face of the earth, or at least take over them. I should say it that way, not wipe them out, but take over them, take them over and anyone that would stand in their way. In fact, this never came to fruition, but Hitler was planning an invasion of them. Now, some would say, see, their, their position of Swiss neutrality has actually worked, but it's not worked because of them. I hope you're with me on this. I may be stirring up a foreign policy dispute that I'm not intending to. But it's not, it's not working because of them. It's working because Americans and hundreds of thousands of others were willing to give their lives to defeat a very terrible enemy in the Nazi, in the Nazi Germany and Italy and others that align themselves with them. So it, it's not that Swiss neutrality is effective. It's that, and even America, you study the history, America really drug its feet before it got into the conflict. No, we just, we just, we want to stay out of this. But there are certain evils that they only grow and increase in size that at some point they must be dealt with. And in Switzerland, yeah, okay, they have, they have this neutrality and they've been able to avoid some conflicts. But other, other nations have paid a very dear price and they have benefited from that price being paid. Absolutely. Yeah. Jericho is the first of many nations that Israel will face. And Jericho represents a world system. Remember, it's a polytheistic Religion where you create your own God and then you conjure up what you think this God looks like and you build these statues and these idols to it and then you, you come up with your own ways to worship it and because of the corrupt fallen nature of man that's always going to produce a terrible means of worshiping and God would never endorse human sacrifice. God would never endorse debauchery or, or sexual perversion in order to honor him. And yet when you study the worship of these foreign lands, in, of these nations in the land of Canaan, that's exactly, exactly what characterized their lifestyle and their form of worship. They were a brutal people. Their, their people dealt with all kinds of difficulties and challenges because of those lifestyles. And so you have Jericho as one of the first nations Israel encounters, and it represents this world system. Israel, on the other hand, is the nation that God has chosen. 
He's called them out to follow him. He's showing his greatness through them. And it's good to remember this, that he, sp- he didn't choose Israel because they were better than anybody else. He chose them when they were the least, when they were unknown, and when no one would even be aware or concerned about them. But he lifted them up, not just for their sake, but he lifted them up so that he could demonstrate his greatness to the world through them and that others would be drawn to him. And it works the same way, and it was intended to work in the Old Testament, and there's this similarity, how that God wants his goodness in our lives to be manifested so that others can see how he works in us, and they be drawn to him as well. And so you have these two kingdoms that are on a collision course. You have the kingdom of Jericho that is going in opposition uh, to God. And you have the nation of Israel that is following God into the promised land. And remember this, that possessing this land was the will of God. It was his design. It was his purpose. And so he has the nation of Israel moving. And they are coming and they are going to end up in a conflict with Jericho, two kingdoms on a collision course. And in this battle, it would be impossible to remain neutral. So here in chapter 2, we're introduced to this woman, Rahab. And one of the defining things about Rahab is this, one of the wonderful things about Rahab is this, is that she had faith. She believed God. And we read from verse number 8, 9, 10, and 11, how she told the spies, We've seen what God has done with you. We've seen how he's blessed you. We've seen how he's given you victory. And I believe that when she said in verse number 11, for the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in earth beneath, that was a statement of her faith. This is what she believed, that God isn't just one of many gods, that he is the God. And I acknowledge that. At some point through this process of observing and hearing the stories about what God was doing with Israel, she came to an understanding that everything that is worshipped in in my hometown, everything that is worshipped in my community, it, it is not God. The only one who is God is the God that is leading this group of people here. And I believe him to be God. She literally had her own personal faith in Jehovah, in the Lord. So what does that faith have to do with this conflict? Well, remember faith, if it is biblical and if it's real, it produces actions. We should be concerned with, we should be afraid of, and we should avoid claiming to have faith that never affects our behavior. Claiming to believe something that doesn't alter the way we live, that doesn't affect the direction we live our lives in, that doesn't affect our attitude, that doesn't affect our awareness of people, that doesn't affect our response to people when we're working through disagreements, that doesn't affect how we consider one another unto love and good works. We should be concerned about a faith that claims, yes, I believe in God, that never demonstrates itself in tangible action. Now, we rejoice in this truth. That we are not saved by works. For by grace are ye saved through faith. But real faith produces real, tangible, observable action in some way. And you say, what if it doesn't? Well, that means one of two things. That means a person's not right with God or that means a person's not saved. Either way, it's a problem. You say, "I, I I don't go around 
analyzing whether or not someone's faith is real or they're saved. That's not my job. That is, that is the responsibility of the individual to recognize if I claim to have faith, that faith should be affecting the way that I live my life. In Hebrews 11, not just Rahab, but every other individual they, that is mentioned there, they all did something because of what they believed. They didn't do something to earn favor with God. They believed God. They had favor with him. And because of that, it produced a specific action. So the question, considering that principle in Hebrews 11, coming here into Joshua 2, and, and keeping in mind the conflict, the inevitable collision of these two kingdoms, of Jericho and of Israel, what does Rahab's faith have to do with this? Or... What was the specific action that she took? Well, we know, you go back into verse number one, they went and came into an harlot's house named Rahab and lodged there. In verse number four, she gave them cover and sent those seeking them on a wild chase in verse Number six, she hid them up on her roof. And then down later in verse 15, she let them out a window. And that was a demonstration that I believe a couple of things. Number one, I believe that God is with you. I believe that you are doing his work. And I want to be on your side. I want to align myself with what is going on because I, I believe that God can destroy, but I also believe that he can deliver. I believe that there's no army that can stand against you. And I want to be on the right side of all of this. And we should want that. And we shouldn't be afraid of wanting that. You know, I hear people say, I've heard people make statements like this, and I think the intention is good, but they're almost trying to over-spiritualize things. Like, you, you shouldn't just get saved so you don't spend eternity in judgment. Well, why not? If judgment is real, that's a really good reason to get saved. And besides the nonsense of that and how illogical that statement is, Jesus himself said, except you all repent, meaning that you turn to me in faith, you're going to perish the same way. Uh, Jesus warned of judgment. And, and so don't, don't think low of Rahab because she recognized where God was working and she wanted to be on the right side of that. Don't think ill of her. That's wise. God is working. And I want to be on the right side of the work that he is doing. So her faith literally caused her to choose sides. This was a military engagement. She understood that a war was coming. You look at verse number 10. And what ye did unto the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side of Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom ye utterly destroyed. She recognizes God is leading you and God is blessing you and there is a war that is coming. And there are only two sides in this conflict and I want to be on the right side. I want to be on the winning side. When all of this is said and done, I want to be on the side that prevails. I want to be on the side that is possessing the land. This is how she, she said it. I want to be on God's side. Her faith caused her to choose sides. You see, faith recognizes, faith recognizes that there is a right and there is a wrong. <sighs> Got to labor on this for a minute. 
You know, I, we, we live in a culture that just, wants to, that just wants to say, okay, everybody just do their own thing and it'll all be good. But eventually, opposing forces collide. You know, one, of the, one of the greatest, most destructive influences into local churches is this idea of ecumenicalism, which means anybody can believe whatever they want and we can just all get along. But eventually, that brings you into conflict. You can't possibly believe the different things and at some point not come into conflict about those issues. For instance, salvation. You can't possibly believe that salvation is of works and salvation is of grace and everybody get along because those are two completely opposing ideas. Either you believe in Jesus and it's enough or you got to do a whole bunch of other stuff. And you're not going to get along in a church very long if you're believing two different things about that. And yet that's the kind of mentality that is, is promoted. That look, look, everybody can just believe whatever they want, anything that they want, and it'll be fine. We're going to just all get along. Well, faith recognizes there is a right and there is a wrong. How did Rahab determine who was right and who was wrong? What side God was on? <laughs> the side that God was on. We know what side God is on. I'll preach about this later. God's not on our side. God's on his own side. <laughs> and he tells us what side that he's on. So her faith caused her to choose sides. Here's, here's the idea is that faith chooses a side. Her faith in this as she saw this conflict approaching and she saw where God was working and she saw the folly of how her culture lived and she saw the conflict on the horizon, she recognized, I can't just pretend this is not happening. I can't pretend that there's not a right and there's not a wrong. I can't pretend that there's not a true God and not a bunch of false gods. I can't pretend that one side doesn't win or that one side doesn't win and one side doesn't lose and it's, it's just whatever we want it to be. I can't pretend like that. I've got to understand that there is a very real war going on between two very real forces and obviously human are involved in this conflict, but really it comes down to the God of this world and the God who rules over all, and I've got to choose which side I'm going to be on. Now you say she wouldn't have articulated it all that way, I agree, but she understood there was a right and a wrong, and she got on God's side. Even, even, to, the, even to turning her back on her own culture. Look, y'all are wrong, and this isn't going to end well. I'm going to be on God's side. The faith chooses sides. You can't claim faith in one kingdom and remain loyal to another kingdom. Many people want the benefit of faith in God without loyalty to God. It's not saying that you're saved by works but we are saying that faith produces work. And in a battle, this was a battle over possessing a land. Faith must choose, will choose, should choose which side it's on. In a war of faith, faith takes a side. Now, let's talk about us for a few minutes. And I, I just want to remind you of this. I love that flag. 
Love that flag. I love the nation that that flag represents. I love every person that's ever served in our military. I don't care what their political agenda is. I don't care who they voted for. Anybody that's ever put on a uniform and served our nation or is serving our nation, I am thankful for them. And I, I believe this, that I owe them a debt of gratitude. I am indebted to them. I am indebted to their family. I believe that. I love, I love this nation. But this nation has long, long ago ceased to be a Christian nation. We, we have people openly, political leaders openly making statements like this. Even this year, over a, a debate about one of the many issues that shouldn't even be an issue, making this, a statement like this, God has nothing to do with the going on, the goings on of this Congress. And the matters that happen here, essentially, they're not his business. Now that's the direction that our nation is going. And, 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 and we've got to get this idea out of our heads. That, a nation, that, that our nation is teetering, or are we going to be for God or are we going to be against God? We have long ago crossed that threshold. Listen, you go back to the 1950s when we made it illegal to have the Bible and prayer in school, and you'd say, well, that, that's really not a big deal. Now, today, I just read recently a coach, a high school coach got fired because he wanted to pray with his team. You, you can't possibly say that we're a Christian nation with all of the murder and the violence that we sanction. With all of the lifestyles that we don't, we, it's not like we're talking about policing people, but we're cramming down people's throats through a corrupt system of education. I'm not you saying everyone in the education system is corrupt. No, and I'm thankful for every believer that's in it to fight the battle and maintain some decency and some truth and some right. But we are going the wrong way fast. There is a war that is raging. A war that is raging, and it's, it's not a, a national war. It's a war between the powers of darkness and the kingdom of God. And you've got to remember the point of this series. There is a land that God wants you to possess. But there are enemies who threaten your possession of it. Enemies who threaten your walk with God. Through temptation. Through distractions. Through busyness. Through doing a lot of good things. Instead of doing the most important things. Your commitment to a church. Or just yesterday, there was a vote. The Supreme Court voted to say that it's, it's unconstitutional for California to prevent people from assembling at their homes for the purpose of faith. Something like that. Here's what's disturbing about that. Number one, that they even needed to have a vote. Number two, that it was a 5-4 vote. And you say, well, that's, that, that's the people in California. In case you haven't caught up with this, this war is raging everywhere. And I understand not every state's at the same place on the legal or on the government battle. But we're all moving the same direction. Your marriage is under assault. 
through temptation, through the pressures of life and challenges. Your children are under assault on issues of gender, the pressure to compromise, the intensity of a militant sexual agenda that comes after them like raging wolves. Your love for people is under assault. People want to tell you that if you don't agree with me, if you don't have the same opinion that I do, and this is, this is the new way to shut people down, you disagree with me, then you're a racist. No, that's, that's, that's the card to play now. You have a different opinion, then you're just a bigoted clown. You're a fool. And you become, you become a subject on someone's Twitter feed or on Facebook and entire businesses can be shut down and people's lives significantly altered because they have a different opinion. And I'm telling you, your ability to love people, it's necessary that you not let others define what loving them means. I'm not sure that that made sense. You can't let other people define to you what loving them actually means because God has already defined it. This is a fight that's going on. And I am so burdened and so concerned that people of God are failing to understand the times that we are living in. And I'm not talking about we just need to pack up and move to the hills and hope for the rapture real soon. Because that attitude's not of God. That attitude is nowhere in the Bible. We just need to be aware. The night cometh when no man can work. And we need to be aware of what we're facing. And we need to be aware of the challenges that we're facing. And we need to be aware that there's an enemy that is moving full, st full speed ahead to take from us what God has entrusted us with. And we've got to know how to fight this battle. And you say, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, let me give some explanation. In the war of faith, Faith takes a side. So how do you take God's side in this? Number one, you maintain biblical positions of right and wrong. You know who decides what is right and what is wrong? God does. We can't let radical agendas dictate our faith. We can't allow mobs pressure us into caving. We can't let tyrannical leaders, whether they be a governor, a mayor, a president, a congress, we cannot let, we cannot allow tyrannical leaders to dictate how we exercise our faith. We cannot let those who would prey on our children, on our young people, on young adults to pressure them into sacrificing their hearts and minds for their own agenda. You have to maintain a biblical position of right and wrong. You have to know what the Bible says and why it says it. And then you can't be afraid of it. I, look, more than, you, more than you realize, I understand how hard this is getting. But we cannot be afraid of what the Bible says is truth. We cannot be afraid of the implication of that truth upon our lives. 
And, and we've got to understand that having that will come with a price. But we still have to understand the Bible clearly dictates to us that there is a right and there is a wrong. And we've got to agree with it, not because we like everything, but because it's God's truth and it's right. You've got to maintain biblical positions of right and wrong. Listen, as a church, you understand what kind of pastor I'm trying to be, but there are certain issues I hope you understand, but there are certain issues that we're not compromising on. And, and I'm not trying to force personal preference down anybody's throat, but we're going to emphasize this point. God created men to be men, and he created women to be women. We're going to emphasize that. That's not up for debate. And used to be, if you talked about that 10, 15 years ago, people would laugh at you and call you a kook, and like, you're just, you're just being an extremist. Now look at where we are. You've got to maintain in your thinking biblical positions of right and wrong. You've got to communicate those to your children. You need to equip your children with knowledge and the truth of the word of God. You can, listen, I am thankful for the men and the women that we have in this church that help to biblically inform your children. But you need to take responsibility for that in your own homes to make sure that they understand truth. Maintain biblical positions of right and wrong. Number two, you've got to live out your faith on a on a daily basis. Now, now get this. We're not talking about being ugly or mean. Just live your life. And don't be a, you don't have to go out with a banner. You don't have to go out with a sign and talk about all the things that you don't like. Just go out and live your life the right way. Isn't it interesting that Jesus said to be salt and light? And when he, and when he talked about being salt and light, you know what he said? Let your good works shine before men that they may see, see that and glorify your Father which is in heaven. He didn't say go out and cause a ruckus. He didn't say go out and start a fight with somebody. He said just live your life the right way. Go out and live your life. Don't be afraid to interact. Don't be afraid to conduct yourself a certain way. Don't be afraid to handle your businesses at work. Live your life. Live out your faith. Don't be afraid to pray over your meal. Don't be afraid to tell your boss that that's not ethical. Don't be afraid to tell a coworker, I'm not going to participate in that kind of language or that kind of activity. Just live your life the right way. Don't be afraid to tell your family, we want to be a part of this, but if all you're going to do is focus on this one particular issue that you know, you know the Bible says is wrong and we have a different opinion than you want, then we're not going to be a part of this. You say, well, that's hard, but it's necessary. Just live your life. Live out your faith. Number three, engage and love people. Um, Paul said this, we wrestle not against two. Let me ask you a question. Give me a yes or no. Is it hard to believe that sometimes? Yep. Yep, it is. Are you ready? Please remember this. People are not your enemy. Come on. Look at me. I don't care what side of the issue somebody is on. People are not your enemy. And the same God that loved you and died for you is the same God that loves them and died for them. They are not your enemy. We can never, we can never condone sinful behavior. But we've got to remember the need, 
their need is to know Jesus Christ. And Jesus was the master of loving people without ever condoning their wicked lifestyle. The woman at the well, Zacchaeus the dishonest tax collector, the woman who was caught in adultery, the thief on the cross. One of the greatest criticisms of him was this, that he ate with publicans and sinners. In, in, all, of, in all of his righteousness and with all of his, his right positions of, of truth and holiness, Jesus never once compromised who he was in order to interact with and engage people. We have to work at loving people, ministering people, understanding people, reaching out to people, and doing it with a heart of compassion and grace, without, and we can do that without compromising who we are. Can I, can I encourage you with something? People's greatest need is to know Jesus Christ, not that you disagree with them about something. That's a really good point. You know what happens sometimes is that we miss opportunities to witness because we get distracted with a side issue. No, in fact, if you'll, if you'll ask God for wisdom and work at it, you can use the side issue to bring them a place to seeing Jesus Christ in the cross. You can use those issues to help explain to them why you think the way that you do, and that will always lead back to the cross. Ultimately, that's where it leads back to the Savior. You can and you must. You, we, we cannot allow, we cannot allow the angry, the, the anger. We cannot allow the hostility. We cannot allow the threats on our ability to assemble. We cannot allow the threats on our ability to raise our children how we want to. We cannot allow those threats that are only increasing and gaining momentum. We cannot allow those threats to make us angry. We've got to understand there is a loving God who will wage this war on our behalf. In the war of faith, faith takes a side. You've, you've got to get, if you're, if you're not, if you're, if you're trying to live your life just ignoring all of this, eventually you're going to come to a place where you have to get on a side. And you're either going to stand with conviction or you're going to cave. And it would be better now before the pressure is on to think through these things. Say, I know which side I need to be on. I'm, I'm not going to talk about it all the time. I am talking about it a lot because I'm reading about it and it's coming. I know someone personally who's in prison right now because of ministry. You've read about the pastor in Canada who's in prison because they chose to assemble. He was, and now he's out. And then they put up barricades around their church so they can't assemble. There's a, there's a very intentional effort to make preaching the truth of the word of God a hate speech. The day is coming when to do what I do in this country and in this state will carry far greater consequences than any of us would have ever thought possible. I'm telling you, unless, and I could be off on this, but all of the signs are, are there. It is coming this way, and we should not be so arrogant to think that it's okay if it happens to all the other countries and all the other believers in the other countries, but that really shouldn't happen to us. We need to stand. We need to fight it as long as we can. I'm just telling you, that's coming. And they won't just be satisfied with the guy standing behind the pulpit. 
They'll want anyone else that seeks to carry on that work in the name of Jesus Christ. And there's going to come a time when your children are challenged about certain issues of sexuality. And there's going to come a time when your marriage is challenged with temptation. And there's going to come a time when your attitude is challenged with bitterness. And that's a really good place to go with this because we think about the big issue of persecution and how it's happening in other nations and it's slowly making its way into this country and and we want to be the kind of people that will stand. But you need to stand when it comes to your own attitude and your own spirit. In the war of faith, faith takes a side. One day... I didn't look it up. I'm sorry. You can find it. One day, a king's coming to this earth. And he's going to win. And there's only two sides to that battle. There's his side and the other side. And if I'm like Rahab sitting up in my, sitting up in my Jericho... Because we're in the world. We're not of the world, but we're in the world. And I'm in Jericho, and I've got my house, and I'm trying to raise my kids, and I'm trying to love my neighbor, and I'm trying to do all those things like you're trying to do, but I can see on the horizon that the war's coming. And it's going to get ugly before it gets better. But that king is still coming. And when he does, we win. And so you just need to make up your mind and think through these things now. How am I going to live out that faith when it starts to get hard? In a war of faith, faith takes a side. I hate, I hate, I hate this. I hate that the days are coming when we have to choose between that flag and this book. But they are coming. And Rahab recognized faith takes a side. And there's only one kingdom that is forever. And I want to be with that one. Let's all stand together. And I... Like, I, I'm, I'm not sure how God would have spoken to you with this. I don't know. And so I'm not, I'm not going to ask you any questions. I'm just going to ask you to be sensitive to the Lord. And, and if you believe that God has spoken to your heart about something, there's something moving in you that you need to pray about, something you need to give thought to, I, I hope that you'll give consideration to it and spend time with the Lord. If he's spoken to you, give him the courtesy of a response and allow him to work in your heart. While Brother Nate begins to sing, you have opportunity to pray.
Sing one more verse.